What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. Thank you so much for joining us here on BaseballAmerica.com or via iTunes with our weekly college baseball podcast. And we also want to remind you uh, a couple of great uh, things that we've started at Baseball America here in 2011. Uh, the mobile uh, Baseball America, we have a new mobile site, uh, Better Late Than Never. Uh, you can either go uh, just to regular Baseball America on your iPad or uh, your iPod Touch, iPhones. We do have a mobile-enabled site. If you're on a BlackBerry, m.baseballamerica.com is your new mobile browser for Baseball America. So we want to make sure we remind people about that. And also, Aaron, I'm not sure if you've tested this out, but our Baseball America Digital Edition, the Digital Edition brings you the magazine on the go. You no longer have to wait by the mailbox for the latest issue to arrive. Every two weeks, you're notified by email that a new Digital Edition is available for download. It's uh, You can get it at, for as low as $1.76 per issue at BaseballAmerica.com backslash subscribe. And the Minor League Preview Edition, we are actually, I believe, sponsored by Rawlings have a free edition of the digital edition that's available at baseballamerica.com. So I want to remind people of that, uh, especially for our college listeners, Aaron. I don't think everybody who uh, follows the college stuff necessarily subscribes, but a lot of college subscriber uh, content as well, especially player features. And this issue, the midseason update, is actually what's going to be in the magazine. A lot of that's already out, but midseason now, Aaron, we're past that with eight weeks. Things are starting to shape up, and we'll start off on the SEC where Vanderbilt and South Carolina get a little bit of a closer, tighter grip uh, on the top two spots in that league. They're, they're tied for first in the SEC East as Florida falls a step behind uh, because they didn't sweep. And really, uh, Vanderbilt and South Carolina, uh, those two teams right now, Aaron, are just machines. I mean, South Carolina with its pitching, uh, allowing fewer than two runs per game over the last like three weeks. And Vanderbilt uh, entertains Alabama this weekend. The SEC West winner that had won seven of its first nine league games, and they just crushed the Crimson Tide—a very impressive series sweep for Vanderbilt. How far ahead of the rest of the league do you think South Carolina and Vanderbilt are? Uh, are have they put some distance between them and Florida in your minds, uh, or is Florida still in that same group for you? You know, Florida's still in that same group for me. For me, it's those three teams, and then and then a huge gap, uh, the way it has been all year long. You know, I, I don't think. Uh, a one-game cushion over Florida really is is enough for me. I mean, you know, Florida did win a road series this weekend against Mississippi State. Um, you know, I, I think they're still right in the mix. But but those three teams to me all look like they're going to be national seeds in the SEC, and and that's amazing. Uh, three national seeds potentially coming out of one division in the SEC on all in the SEC East. And the interesting thing now about the SEC also is, you know, Georgia all of a sudden is starting to look like uh, it might be as good as any of the teams in the. West, so so that's a fourth SEC East team. I mean, Georgia's now eight and four in the conference. Uh, they've really gotten hot since since starting slow, um, and and you know they've got a better record than any team in the West. That is amazing, and uh, I'm glad you brought up the Georgia Bulldogs because you know so much has been. Uh, that's just a team that gets talked about a lot. It's a it's a there, there's no middle ground. They're like a great fantasy team. They either are right there in the national championship mix. Or they stink, you know, so they're going to draft high the next year. That works great in fantasy, not so much in college baseball. Only 18 and 15 overall, Aaron, but they're a team that's hot, number one. Uh, number two, their series losses look a little bit better, like getting swept by Stetson. You still don't want to get swept, but Stetson's in our top 25. Series losses to Baylor and Florida State are certainly understandable. 
Um, they lost a series to Southern South Carolina, South Carolina, but they were competitive in that series. Now they've you know uh, won their last uh, three conference series. Uh, Georgia looks like a regional team. Uh, how much of a test can they give Florida this weekend? They're they're home to the Gators. Uh, obviously a big rivalry series uh, from the football Georgia Florida rivalry. Uh, what does Georgia do that can give Florida problems this weekend? Well, for one thing, you know, Michael Palazone on, on Saturdays has been terrific. I mean, I, I think he's uh, he's really taken that, that step forward that Georgia needed him to take this year. Um, and, you know, Alex Wood on, on Fridays gives him a chance to win every time out. Um, although he wasn't great this past weekend, he still won, uh, battled, you know, Georgia scored a bunch of runs on Friday. So, uh, you know, the, the offense seems like it's starting to come around a little bit for Georgia. Um, you know, you're seeing, uh, you know, Zach Cohn had a decent weekend, you know, uh, um, there's still some pieces that haven't come together for them, but, um, you know, it, it's getting there. It's, it's, it's come a long way from the start of the season. And, and, uh, I think it's gonna be an interesting series. I mean, obviously I, I still like Florida, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's good to see Georgia has really rallied after, you know, the, the, the thing with Jonathan Taylor losing him to that serious spinal injury. Um, they didn't let that get him down. You know, last year they really, they really struggled after they lost Chance Vesey. And, you know, a lot of people on that team have said that uh, losing a teammate um, who, who was paralyzed was, was devastating for them. And, and it's hard. It's easy to understand why that would take a toll on a team. But this year uh, they just said, we're doing this for, Taylor and, and you know and let's just go out there and play yeah it really seems like that's they just turned things around considerably uh you know you know since that injury um and it just seemed like that maybe the team uh, was able to put aside some other <laughs> issues or if they had any other issues I mean I, it's hard to know without uh being there but the one thing that you can really see is that they're they're pitching a lot better this year than they did last year um that seems like that's a huge uh and you mentioned Palazone Looks like Blake Dietrich is another big story for them. Uh, the sophomore, I just remember reading something about him online earlier this year. Um, and he had like, what, 44 walks, I think it was, last year in 25 yeah. innings. And uh, now this year he's kind of become their moment of truth guy in the bullpen. And he's uh, become a workhorse and uh, he's throwing more strikes. And just that whole that, that whole pitching staff, I mean, like Palazone with the three walks and 55 innings. I mean, that's that has that's just he, – he wasn't close to that kind of a factor the last couple of years. So I'm really glad you brought up Georgia – because they're one of the best stories in, in the SEC, and like you said, I mean, if they were in the West, that eight and five record, eight and four record, would be good enough for first place in the SEC West. Uh, we've talked a lot about the SEC West already this year, Aaron. This week, the team that stepped forward is Arkansas. I think in the preseason, we had Arkansas either maybe two in the SEC West behind LSU. Yeah. Um, it seemed like those, you know, th- those two teams played a very tight series this weekend. One of the games on national TV I got to watch on Saturday, and I think a lot of people watched that game. Who are college baseball fans? And we got to see, uh, you know, James McCann with that dramatic walk-off three-run home run, and you really see one of the biggest reasons why LSU is at three and nine and last place in the West. Their closer situation is just not settled. Uh, this weekend they tried Kevin Barry, the transfer from New Orleans. Previously, obviously they had Matty Ott. Matty Ott is just uh, not the same guy he was in 2009. For whatever reason, he's not as effective, not nearly as effective. And LSU doesn't seem like they're able to, to come back from that here. And three and nine, can the Tigers rally from three and nine? And uh, are they a regional team at this point? I still think they're a regional team because they're going to have such a great RPI. Um, you know, they, they've got a home series this weekend against Auburn that's winnable. Uh, they've got home series left against Kentucky and Tennessee. They should be able to. I mean, in theory, they they could sweep all those series, but you figure they'll probably, you know, they'll probably go six and three in those games, maybe seven and two, um, or better. 
but I mean, I think that helps a lot. And, and, uh, you know, they still have that series win against Cal, the sweep against Cal State Fullerton. That's going to help them a lot at the end of the year. Um, it doesn't look like they're going to, they're going to rebound to win the SEC West, but, uh, uh, you never know. Even that is not a reach and they're still only four games back, you know, even at three and nine, they're only four games back in their own division. So what do you um, think they have to do? Just, you know, they've played 12 games. They've got 18 games left in the league. What what kind of league, what do you think they have to do the rest of the year where they're what they're 23, 25 games left? You know, what kind of record do you think they have to get to, to be a regional team? Well, it mean, doesn't doesn't sound like it has to be that ambitious. I mean, like in your mind, if they go twelve and if they go thirteen and twelve, and over those last eighteen games they go say twelve and six, eleven and five in the SEC, is that going to be enough? Oh, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if they're in the SEC tournament, they're in for sure as a regional team. Well, that's um, actually that bar is a little bit lower though this year, is it not? I mean, you, they take the top three teams from each division, right? Or just the top two teams? Not sure which it is there, but I mean that that bar is not that high for making the SEC for, for making the SEC tournament from the West. From the West, I mean, um, like, like is Alabama a, a lock? If they finish 500 in the league, is their non-conference schedule enough for them to get in? Uh, for the I SEC? think so. I, I still think that any team that makes the SEC tournament is going to be in a regional this year, uh, because you know for for one thing, as, we, as we've talked about. It's hard to get to 64 teams, you know, and, and feel good about them. And, and all those teams are going to have strong RPIs in the SEC, uh, you know. And, and I think if you if you win enough games to make the SEC tournament, I think you're going to be fine. I am. I, I start to wonder at what point the SEC West team's RPI doesn't improve as much as maybe we expect it to, because some of the teams in the SEC do not have great win loss records. Kentucky's yeah. under 500. Georgia's win loss record is not great. Uh, Tennessee's <laughs> lost 13 games. They're headed for under 500. Let's face it, two and ten in the league. Um, they're not playing well. You know, Auburn's 18 and 14. At some point, if you have a bunch of 500 teams in that league, <clears throat> it's going to drag their league RPI down from the lofty levels that we would expect it. I, I would think it would start to have some kind of a drag. I, I could be wrong, um, but I have to imagine that's going to have to uh, start having some kind of drag on that league's RPIs. It's a uh, it's not an impressive looking league right now. It's a three team league, and right now, if I had to pick a fourth best team in the league, I might pick Georgia, Aaron, because Arkansas, as well as they played this weekend, they they pitched well this weekend. It still seems like they're pitching pictures a little unsettled. What went right for them on the mound this weekend that allowed them to to sweep LSU? Well, you know, for one thing, they moved DJ Baxendale back into the Friday starter spot, which I think works. I think they need to have that anchor at this at the start of the rotation, and um, you know. It, I understand why they moved him into the bullpen, um, especially after they lost Jeffrey Davenport. They kind of needed that that moment of truth guy, but um, I, I think he I think he fit well at the top of the rotation. And then they got a, a nice start from Brandon Moore the next day, five scoreless innings. Um, but their bullpen came up pretty pretty big for them this weekend too. You know, every day, um, you know, they got four or so strong innings from their bullpen, um, and that's going to have to be a key for them, obviously. Yeah, that, that I think that's a uh, that, that's a huge part of it. They just need to settle. It seems like uh, in in the in the weekend rotation, and uh, maybe the, just the success they had this weekend will allow them to do that. Um, and they their bullpen performed uh, seemed like fairly well uh, this weekend. Obviously, they gave up a late lead, oh, not a late lead, but they gave up some late runs on Saturday. But uh, you know, Aaron, have you noticed any correlation this year with teams when they have some success offensively? Have, they, have teams been able to carry that over once they start to have a little success? Uh, with the bats, um, we saw that a little bit this week out of Arkansas. They got some big hits. 
don't know if you've anecdotally meant, noticed that with other teams. I probably should talk about the midseason trends report a little bit here on the podcast. So have you noticed anything like that anecdotally about teams that once they do have a decent weekend offensively, that it starts to they start to gain a little confidence from that? You know, I think that happens sometimes, but I think there's other cases where you know a team will have a great weekend and think that they're turning the corner, and then it just their momentum gets stopped in their tracks. I mean, I don't think it's it's like it used to be uh, with the old bats, where you can you can get on a roll and just ride the hot streak. I, I think it's a lot harder to sustain that now. Um, but I, you know, I wonder, I wonder how it's going to work. I mean, a guy like uh, you know, like Keith Werman in Virginia had, had struggled most of the year, had a big weekend this past weekend. Is he going to be able to keep that going now? I mean, is there something that uh, you just figure out with the bats, you know, or, or or just have to be really locked in? I mean, I'm, I'm I don't know yet. Nobody really knows um, how to how to take these bats, and and, and you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of questions that they bring up. I think that the key is uh, to not overthink it. To me, it's uh, uh, oversimplifying it maybe, but it it performs like wood. That was their goal. Uh, It performs like wood. You have to have strength uh, to have a consistent swing and to get the fat part of the bat on the ball. And if you don't don't have any strength in your swing, you're going to really struggle with these bats. And I think that's why a guy like Keith Werman has struggled. And I think once you realize that as a hitter and you're able to make that adjustments and not rely just on your hands but use your lower half in your swing, you're going to be able to, to, to drive the ball. And I think that's, you know, that's what we saw. Um, I, I tweeted about it, but we, we, you know, we were t- both talking about your personal cheese ball, James McCann. Uh, he did that on Saturday on that line drive swing that he had earlier in the game, and then he had the, uh, you know, the home run, the game-winning home run later. But uh, let's talk a little bit, Aaron. Uh, before we go on to Virginia, you mentioned Keith Warman. Let's talk a little bit about this midseason trends report uh, because I think we have to – it hasn't been the elephant in the room. We've talked about the offense all year. Um, but, God, I mean, did you realize that – I think we realized scoring was down that much. I think I almost thought the home runs were down even more. They're basically cut in half from yeah. uh, .94 home runs per game in 2010 to .47 home runs per game early in the year. Um, and usually it seems like those offensive numbers – uh, gain ground over the second half of the season uh, historically. So maybe they'll creep up a little bit as the year goes on. Uh, yeah, I think it's better to compare the midseason from last year with the midseason from this year, which I think right. is on there as well. I, I, right, it is. I, I agree. Um, but, I mean, uh, the number of shutouts, that last year there were 277 shutouts in the first half of the year, and this year 444 shutouts. That is just so eye-opening. I mean, I think – We've tried to prepare people that pitching and defense was going to matter more with these bats. Did the numbers still surprise you or impress you that they were that dramatic? It's it's stark, isn't it? I mean, the shutout number, like you mentioned, to me, that leapt off the page. Uh, and it, it has felt like we've seen a lot of shutouts. And, uh, you know, it seems we've we've had kind of a slew of no hitters. And, you know, we had that perfect game. And it just seems like... Uh, uh, it's it's a lot easier to just dominate on the mound than it used to be, and you don't even have to have overpowering stuff like we've talked about. You know, you throw strikes. Uh, that's a, a huge part of the battle. Um, let your defense do the job behind you. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think I think defense, like we wrote about at length in the preseason, I think defense is is really 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 important now because um, you know strikeouts strikeout rate is about the same as it was last year. Right. You know, People are still putting the ball on play, uh, but uh, but the batting average on balls in play has gone way down because you know you're, they're just not hitting the ball as hard, uh, and and so you've got to be able to take advantage of of all the opportunities you have to to make outs 
um, defensively. And on the other side, you have to be able to take advantage of, of any opportunity you have to manufacture runs. So, um, you know, I, I think I think it's you still need to be able to hit. You still you still need to have some guys with the strength to swing these bats and and, and score some runs. But you also really need to be able to defend. You need to be able to do everything. It's you know, let's face it. It's there's but, no there's no magic bullet. I don't think. Well, I think that's it, Aaron. I think that's a great point. The well-rounded teams. I've been the better teams this year. Vanderbilt and Virginia and South Carolina and Florida. These are very well-rounded teams. And let's let's transition. You mentioned Keith Worman earlier. Uh, let's talk about Virginia. Uh, I think the two most impressive series of the of the weekend. Uh, there are three series that jumped out at me in the in the country. Two of them were in the ACC. One of them was Oregon State in the Pac-10, sweeping Arizona State. But the other two, to me, though, the most impressive series were North Carolina and Virginia going on the road to sweep impressive teams. Uh, North Carolina going not sweep. I'm, I misspoke. Virginia going on the road to win a series at Georgia Tech. Then North Carolina going on the road to win a series at Florida State. Let's talk about the Cavaliers first. That's a little bit less surprising because they were ranked second, Georgia Tech 14th. But uh, to me, only th- on paper, the only difference between th- these two teams is that Virginia is a much more veteran team uh, than Georgia Tech, only because most teams are much more veteran than Georgia Tech. They've been so reliant on freshmen. But what was uh, Virginia able to do to put up 18 runs on Mark Pope and, uh, and Jed Bradley and, and the Georgia Tech bullpen that Georgia Tech had pitched so well all year? Why was uh, Virginia able to get to them? Well, you know, I, I tell you, Virginia just has a really, you know, a, a good patient approach. They take what's given to you. Um, you know, it's it's for the most part, it's not an offense that's it's going to bludgeon you. But uh, they have gotten some timely home runs. I mean, David Coleman had a big one, uh, a three run shot on, on Friday against Pope, I believe, um, you know, and, and, and they, they showed some more power on Saturday. Um, ten, um, but but, you know, it, it's. It's really an offense that that's built a lot like it was last year. You know, it, it's it's drive you crazy with wearing out the gaps and getting on base, and uh, um, you know that's kind of the 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 unsung hero of Virginia's team. We talk a lot about their pitching, I think, because um, their pitching is really good. But uh, boy, they sure can score some runs too, and they've got some depth. You know, I mean, it's they haven't one of the reasons they haven't been, been hitting Danny Holson lately is because Jared. King has kind of emerged, and you know they've got Kenny Swab in there, and they've got all these different guys. They can, you know, Tyler Levine, uh, or Ryan Levine, rather, you know, has done a good job. I mean, um, they've they've got a lot of different parts that they can mix around, and, and you know, I think Chris Taylor has been a key for them on the leadoff spot all year. He's really been a catalyst guy for them. Um, you know, I, I think Virginia has proven that it's, you know, it's it's the team to beat in the ACC at this point uh, because they they now won a road series against Georgia Tech. They swept Clemson on the road. They won a road uh, home series against Florida State. Um, you know, their 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 resume is impeccable. You know, and they're 31 and three overall. I mean, I I think I now believe in North Carolina as well, but I, I I'm more convinced than ever that Virginia is the class of that league. I, I think you said it perfectly. That they have taken care of the really the, probably the toughest part of their schedule. They've already played Florida State. They've already played uh, Georgia Tech, and uh, you know, the, obviously, they're, they, the, you look at the rest of their their league schedule. Their next three series are Duke, NC State, Boston College. If they don't sweep those three series, two of those are at home. If they don't three, sweep those three series, I'll be stunned. And they could be 42-3 and because they've got Richmond and VCU, Georgetown, Coastal Carolina. They could have a pretty ridiculous record, Aaron, uh, yeah. <laughs> when it comes down to it. And they're home to Miami and at North Carolina. The only series the rest of the year where they're not going to be favored is at North Carolina. And yeah. even there, they could be the f- – They have no team in the country other than Vanderbilt and South Carolina has taken care of business more – 
than Virginia. And it's just, uh, I, I think uh, you hit it earlier when we talked about the bats. Uh, they are, you've talked about it all year. You better be gap to gap. You know, like the way that Elliot Avent put it to me this year, early and under used to work, does not work anymore. If your swing is early because you're looking to pull and under because you're looking to lift the ball and get it in the air, you will make outs. In, in the past, you would hit home runs. So if you work yeah. the gaps, you're going to have success. And nothing says work the gaps more than Virginia with 76 doubles and eight home runs. I mean, that's that's it. That is that is it. That that so they just they're just a good hitting team. They do everything well. They don't have a glaring weakness. That's why they are 31 and three. And I'm telling you, get ready for them to have some just stupid, a stupid record. It's going to happen. Uh, looking at their schedule, they've been through the toughest part. Meanwhile, North Carolina, I think we were both on the same tip with the Tar Heels that, yeah, they played well. I think we were still a little skeptical about their ability to score runs. Their offense has been so prolific this year. But to go on the road and win a series at Florida State, Aaron, is very, very difficult. And North Carolina just keeps uh, – they have some problems on Sundays. Uh, they, ha- they, they Their bullpen bailed them out on Sunday this week. Uh, but offensively, is it safe to say North Carolina's are they the best offensive team in the ACC? Boy, they just might be. I mean, they've sure performed like it at this point. Um, that was a statement weekend for me. You know, I mean, I, I think we both thought we were a little bit light on North Carolina, uh, uh, but uh, we wanted to see what would happen this weekend. And this was a major litmus test for them. They hadn't won a series of Florida State since 1995. You know, that's 16 years ago. Um, so to go down there and take two out of three is, is huge. And, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I believe in their offense at this point, you know, I think you have to, uh, Colin Moran is clearly the real deal as a freshman. Um, you know, he's having a, and Dustin Ackley kind of an impact as a freshman, you know, I mean, I really like Jacob Stallings and the, and the, the step forward he's taken as a junior. Uh, I've heard lots of good things about Levi Michael, um, you know, and, and, and Ben Bunting at the top is a nice catalyst. They've got a veteran in there with Jesse Wears Bickey. And then they've got some young guys who've done a good job as well. So, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a good lineup. You talked about the, the problems they've had on Sundays. It's been a little bit up and down with their Sunday starters, but uh, the bullpen bailed them out. And, and that's one of the strengths of this team is it's a deep bullpen. It's a deeper bullpen than they've had before uh, in a long time. You know, so I, I think uh, I think they're a, they're a legitimate contender now. And now they've got a, a stranglehold, I think. Not a stranglehold, but they're certainly in the driver's seat for a national seed, which is, I think, the biggest development this weekend. Um, in, our, in our field of 64 projection last week, we still had Florida State as, as a national seed over North Carolina because I expected Florida State to win this home series and, right. and kind of uh, use that as a, as a springboard uh, in the ACC. But, um, you know, North Carolina goes down there and wins that thing two out of three. All of a sudden, it's, it's reversed. I think Carolina is clearly in position to, to get a national seed. Yeah, I think the one of the big other keys for North Carolina, they, they lead the ACC in runs, so you know that's not the only measure because uh, you, you're talking about com- you know who you schedule has an impact on that. But they do lead the ACC in runs, so that's one way to say they're the best offense in the league. This other, other key for them, I think, is their weekend rotation has been a little bit better than we thought. Their bullpen's better, but Patrick Johnson, I don't think either one of us was really convinced that this was a true Friday guy. Uh, he's a senior. That helps. He's been better than he's ever been this year. He's averaging a strikeout per inning. He's taken a huge step forward, and we I think we both knew they had to have someone else come through in their weekend rotation, and Kent Emanuel really you know, pitched very well uh, in general for them this year. He might be a little, might be a little bit much to ask him to be the Saturday guy necessarily, um, but you can't argue with the results. He's been quite good. So, um, But Patrick Johnson, I think, deserves some, me- some mention, and I will, I will remind you 
that he's a personal cheese ball of mine. Always been a, <laughs> I've always been a PJ guy. Uh, speaking of short right-handers, we have a couple of uh, email questions uh, on the podcast on our Twitter account. Uh, Aaron, PSL to Flushing, who always asks, we're going to transition a little bit of the Pac-10. PSL to Flushing asks, Trevor Bauer, a top 15 pick for you, or is the concern about workload or mechanics too much? I think you know my answer. I want to I want to hear your answer on, on Trevor Bauer. He's certainly a top 15 pick, and, and I think he's got a real chance to go inside the top 10. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's a top five talent. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, who's going to pull the trigger in the top five. He is a little unconventional, but uh, I'm not worried about the workload. You know, there's there's been a little bit of a, a, a kerfuffle, I guess, on Twitter. Is that the right word, John? I think kerfuffle uh, is absolutely the correct word. So people on, on, on the internet are, are starting to clamor about Bauer's pitch counts. But look, I mean, it's, you know, he's, for one thing, he's a very different case. He, uh, he, he throws a lot, you know, and, and um, he's one of those guys who, who likes to throw a lot. Uh, you can't treat all pitchers the same way. And, and I'm not going to get bent out of shape about a guy who throws 130 pitches thrown once a week. Uh, you know, I think it's, it, him especially, he, he can handle it. Uh, I don't think there's anything to worry about there. Yeah, I mean, for me, his whole point is that he conditions himself to pitch a lot, and uh, he wants to pitch a lot. And he told people last year, give me to 100 pitches, and I'll get you there. I mean, if you were concerned about that with Tim Lincecum, you'll be concerned about it with Trevor Bauer. There's no other way to put it. The first time I saw Bauer as a freshman, I was startled because he's such a Lincecum imitator. I mean, it's startling just how similar his delivery is. He's clearly patterns himself after Lincecum. Not a bad guy to pattern yourself after, Aaron, if you're a smaller pitcher. He long tosses like crazy. He clearly, we all saw, I wrote about it last year in Omaha, the way that he prepares himself. He's prepared to throw a lot. And if, uh, and he's much more efficient in college than Tim Lincecum ever was. So he's frankly more advanced. I think he's slightly less electric. I think I'm not giving him enough credit when I say he's less electric than Lincecum. I I don't see the difference, to be honest with you, between him and Lincecum, except that Lincecum has a more hellacious breaking ball, maybe, than uh, than Bauer. But Bauer's changeup at a similar stage, it's much more advanced than Lincecum. Lincecum really didn't break the changeup out until he was a big leaguer. Yeah. So, so for me, if you like Tim Lincecum, you'll love Trevor Bauer. And I think Lincecum's success uh, will help Trevor Bauer. And I I don't mean to sound cynical, but if I were a major league club, all I'm looking at is will Trevor Bauer hold up physically while he's cheap? And I don't care if he has a 10 or 15 year career. I care. Is he going to be good while he's cheap? And I have a lot of confidence that he will be good while he's cheap. I'll tell you another guy we talked about workload wise in college was, was Mike Leak. Mike Leak, similarly small, athletic like Trevor Bauer, threw a lot of pitches, efficient, but went deep into games constantly. My only concern with Mike Lee coming out of college was durability, and he's been durable. He skipped the minor leagues, went straight to the big leagues, and helped the Reds win the division last year. So uh, to me, the success of Mike Leake and, and Tim Lincecum both help Trevor Bauer, and people who have the problem with the pitch count can uh, wear it on my, uh, when, when, when uh, Trevor Bauer's big time in, ma- in the major leagues because I, I have absolutely no concern because he's not conventional. I, I, that's exactly why that's I have right. no concerns. So – um, good question, uh, but I would I think it's uh, like you said the kerfuffle is much ado about nothing. And then uh, Kowloon WC alias Ian Miller asks the prognosis for Cal's reinstated program. How's the recruiting overcome this, and how long before they compete again? Aaron, uh, let's go right into that. I mean Cal 
dropped down in our rankings this week from 13 to 16. The Bears lost a series at Arizona. Uh, so the Wildcats moved up from 22 to 20. Uh, but Cal reinstated last week. The baseball's been on this yo-yo all spring. They're gone. They're in. They're out. They're in. They're out. Pick one and stick with it. Finally, they raised $10 million. It, I think is it fair to say, Aaron, that both you and I think that the university wanted to get rid of baseball? I think so. Yeah, I really do. And, and you know, in the end, they just they were presented with too much money and they couldn't do it. But uh, take that, that Chancellor. Uh, you know, that's it. That's it. But uh, I'll tell you, it's going to be interesting to see how this whole thing affects them long term. It's a great question. We don't know the answer, but I do know that you know, as recently as a month ago, they were looking and trying to find new places for their players to land after the season. Uh, and now to go from that to okay, guys, you know, stay everybody, stay put, and let's go out and recruit. I mean, it's uh, you know, it, I don't know, I don't know how they recover from it. It's it's uh, it's interesting. I wonder how it'll affect their recruiting. Um, but uh, you know, for now, I think they'll they'll worry they'll worry about that later. I think they're just uh, a sigh of relief is, is the appropriate response. Do you think they had any letdown at all this weekend as a team, where they've been so focused on let's show those sons of bitches? That we just did this, that we're gonna, they can try to eliminate us, and we're gonna go to Omaha. If they lost any edge for this year's team with the reinstatement, I mean, I wouldn't think so. Um, you never know. I mean, maybe, you know. I mean, it's without being inside the program, it's hard to know. But I, you know, to me, it seems like this team is uh, uh, is very well coached and driven, and uh, and and focused, and they've got some older guys that that are stabilizers and. Uh, um, you know, I think they're going to. I think they're going to keep on playing well, um, even without that that particular motivation. I mean, I think they've got plenty of motivation, and and now they can relax a little bit. And you'd have to think it would eventually help them. But um, you know, I think this weekend was just a case of, of you know losing a, a road series to a, a a very talented team. And I like Arizona's team. You know, I I think that uh, the resume you know had some holes in it until this weekend, but talent wise, I, I really like their team. Yeah, I agree. I think the one thing you do look at Cal, uh, they do have some some talent in the underclassmen, um, and, and including uh, my new favorite Cal player, Michael Theofanopoulos, at a boy <laughs> ya, ya, Yasu Mikali. Uh, but uh, they, 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 it's a junior-dominated team, Aaron. Uh, I would expect them to take a pretty decent step back next year, um, yeah. and it would not shock me if uh, Cal were forced to go the JUCO route. Uh, I don't know how easy it is to get in from a JUCO into the University of California, Berkeley. I would assume it's not easy, um, but it wouldn't shock me if Dan Hubbs and Dan Esker and that coaching staff was forced to go the JUCO route a little bit. But stick in the Pac-10, Aaron. Uh, you mentioned Arizona, big series win. We've talked a little bit about UCLA. Who's the best team in the Pac-10 right now, Aaron? Uh, Stanford hmm. lost a series at Southern Cal. Arizona State got swept by Oregon State. Is it the O State Ballers? They were balling this weekend. Yeah, it might be the Beavers. You know, it really might be because um, they're good. As we talked about, I think they're really good in the mound. I mean, I like the uh, the one-two punch with with uh, Sam Gavilio and Josh Osich. Um, I like their bullpen. But the biggest thing for Oregon State, the key, is that they're a lot better offensively than they were last year. Yep. Um, you know, and they're scoring runs. They they scored seven and nine runs in the last two games to, to win that series against a very stingy Arizona State pitching staff. Um, you know, they I like their the middle of their lineup even without Susak. And that's the other thing they did this this weekend without uh, their best hitter Andrew Susak. I was about to say that that's the amazing part to me is that Andrew Susak might be out for the year with this broken hammock, 
and they still put up runs on Arizona State. It's uh, it's kind of a stunning development. It's very impressive, you know. I mean, and um, you know, guys like Jared Norris and Danny Hayes have really emerged for them in the middle of the lineup. Um, and they're kind of like Virginia, you know, their their gap team, their line drive gap team. Um, and and uh, you know, they've they've just taken a huge step forward offensively. Um, and and I don't know. I mean, maybe they are the best team in the Pac-10. I think the Pac-10 is is wide open right now. You know, I would have said. Certainly that Arizona State was the best team in the league heading into this weekend, and I don't know if you can say that anymore. You know, they just got swept. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, it's, there's a lot, of, a lot of baseball left to be played in the Pac-10, but I really like really the top six teams in that league, and, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them finish in, in a lot of different orders. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that league, I think the SEC and the ACC have some separation now. Virginia is clearly the best team in the ACC. I don't think there's a doubt about that. I think North Carolina has the next best case. And, but I don't think they're that much different from Georgia Tech and Florida State. But I think we know that's the top four, but Virginia's one. The SEC, as we talked about, top three, everybody else. You know, you can throw the rest of those teams in a hat. And right now you'd pick Georgia out as the fourth best team, I'd say. But the Pac-10 is completely wide open. And I, I'd feel really good about Oregon State if Susack were healthy. But I kind of wonder their staying power without him. Yeah. Uh, the top of that lineup. It's the Baseball America podcast with John Manuel and Aaron Fit. Dang it, Aaron. I love talking college baseball <laughs> on a Monday. It's just there's so much good stuff going on uh, in the Big 12. Uh, that league seems a little bit more muddled um, than some of the other leagues. But it, it, to me, Texas and Texas A&M are the top two teams. But they don't seem like they have as much distance as those top teams, the other teams that we're talking about. Uh, is that fair? I mean, like Oklahoma has been a little bit of a disappointment this year so far. Uh, you know, in Texas and A&M don't excite you, but they just they pitch and they play defense and they keep on grinding out series wins. That's it. Yep. I mean, those two teams are very similar uh, the way they're, they're constructed. You know, both teams have, uh, have powered first round guys at the top of the rotation um, with Youngman and Stilson. Um, you know, you've got a, a first round guy next year on Saturday with Michael Waka at A&M. Uh, and maybe a first rounder in Hobie Milner next year for, for, on Saturday for Texas. So, uh, and then you know on Sunday it's it's a couple upperclassmen, Cole Green and Ross Stripling. They're both they're both pitching teams, is what they are, um, and they have to play defense and they have to manufacture runs. And then they've been able to ground grind out a lot of wins. And you know there's there's like we've talked about, there's a bunch of teams in our top ten that are kind of built this way. Um, and, and those two teams uh, do it as well as anybody, you know, and, and Oklahoma by contrast is more of an offensive team in theory, uh, but they've you know they've been up and down offensively. You know they, they started out really hot, and then they went through a cold patch uh, where they weren't scoring runs um, for about two weeks. And and now they, uh, you know, they scored a bunch of runs last weekend, and then this weekend they they, they score a bunch of runs on Saturday, but not on Friday and Sunday. So um, you know it's hard to figure out Oklahoma at this point. I don't, you know, besides Michael Rocha going out there every Friday and giving you a strong start, I don't know what else uh, to expect from that team. So uh, we'll learn more about them this weekend at Oklahoma State. That should be a um, should be Bedlam over there in uh, Stillwater. <laughs> well played. No, well played. I mean, uh, I, I I am curious. Um, I, I'm I'm sure that his pitch counts are less than Trevor Bowers, but, you know, Mike, Taylor Youngman, is there any kerfuffle about him? He's got more, in my mind, questionable mechanics than, than Trevor Bauer does with his little kind of head snap at the end of his delivery, and he's gone seven, eight, nine innings every start this year. Is there any Twitter kerfuffle about him? I mean, uh, uh, not that I've heard. He has been ridiculous this year. Um, 
but he's much less dominant in terms of strikeouts than Trevor Bauer. So I assume he's a little bit more efficient, but I mean, he's going yeah. deep in every game too. Uh, but uh, Taylor Young, he was a midseason first team All-American, correct? Didn't we put him on that first team? Yes. I mean, right. uh, this guy, to me, he might be as good as John Stilson is. Taylor Youngman might be the difference that makes me think if, if I had to pick a team, Texas or A&M in the, in, the, in the Big 12, I might pick the Longhorns just because I do like their they're, – they're a little bit more left-handed than A&M, correct, on the mound? Uh, on the mound, I mean, they've, you know, they've got Cole Green, I guess, is, is – uh, well, no, he's a righty. I mean, uh, right. I'm Hobie got, Milner. I'm Stafford. sorry, that's what they I'm thinking both, of. Both Sam Stafford and Hobie Milner from the left side. Yeah, and I do like I like uh, Corey. Is it Knubel? Knabel? They're third. Corey Knabel, Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing that was really for me. You know, who was going to replace uh, Chance Ruffin, who was so good out of the bullpen for Texas la- uh, last year, but Knabel's been outstanding. Uh, he just he's been pretty dominant. So, if I had to pick a team for the rest of the year, I might give a slight edge. I guess <clears throat> to the Longhorns over the Aggies, but uh, hey, the Aggies do have that uh, national championship in women's basketball, so uh, there is that. Uh, obviously, it's, it's it's worth mentioning from a scheduling standpoint that Texas has Oklahoma at home, and two out of the three games against A&M are are in Austin. So the schedule, I think, favors Texas a little bit too. Uh, I'm with you. I probably would take Texas. Another thing is that in A&M's favor, uh, in a serious note. As they already went to Oklahoma and won that series. That's why they're ranked ahead yeah. right now. They have the best, the best, uh, you know, chit at the table is there. They just push that out there. Series win on the road at Oklahoma, you know, call. Uh, Aaron, a couple other things from the rankings. Uh, a lot of churn at the back. Um, you know, Fresno State dropped a little bit. They, they dropped out of the top 10. Uh, we had a lot of churn at the back, but we didn't end up bringing in any of these other teams. Uh, we we have Troy 18 now, Stetson 21. Uh, Troy and Stetson, let's touch on those two teams a little bit because I don't think we've talked about them in the in the podcast before, uh, except in passing. What chances do Troy and Stetson have? Being ranked is all well and good. What chances do those teams have of, of hosting a regional? Uh, you know, uh, they both, both have realistic chances, and they're both in the top 25, 27 in the RPI um, right now. You know, we'll see how that holds as the season progresses but i think those leagues are good enough that um you know they could be in the mix geographically it's tough with all those teams in the southeast you know you have to figure florida and florida state are locks to host uh if you so if you're stetson you know are, are you competing for another spot in in that state in that region um you know with with, with maybe miami I and mean, miami's kind of backdooring their way into into a hosting discussion as well all of a sudden i mean they're they're doing pretty well in the ACC and they're 28 in the RPI and and their RPI is probably going to wind up at the end of the year better than Stetson's. Uh, so that's something to think about. You know, you you've got all those SEC teams in in Georgia and Alabama and you know it, it's uh, it's going to be tricky I think for those teams geographically um, to to beat out the SEC teams for hosting spots because all all those all those SEC ACC teams are going to be better in the RPI. You know, so those teams really there's not a lot of margin for error for Stetson and Troy, but uh, but boy, they sure look like the the class of their respective conferences, and you know, and, and if they can keep this up, I mean, they're both 25 and six, 25 and seven right now. Um, you know, that's that's a great start. If if you have a gaudy record, the committee likes that, and and uh, you know, I think that they can host, but they they can't really afford to trip up too much. Yeah, and I think that you know, it's pretty telling when you look at the. Uh... RPI needs report on boydsworld.com, one of the resources I think everybody in college baseball uses. Um, you look at Stetson, they have to go 23-0 and to finish in the top 20, uh, top 16 in the RPI. 
I, I think that the better Georgia plays, the more that helps Stetson. Uh, I don't want. I, I don't think it's all on that one weekend, but the fact they swept an SEC team is going to really help them uh, as long as Georgia keeps on playing well. Um, I know Stetson's ballpark is pretty nice. Uh, I don't remember what their capacity is. I do remember that it's an impressive ballpark. It's fairly new. I know Chipper Jones has helped donate some money there. His, he's from that area uh, right around there. His dad, Larry, Larry Sr., uh, was actually, uh, you know, Chipper's a chip off the old block. But that's, uh, but Larry Sr. is uh, was an assistant coach at Stetson for, for a time, if he's not still involved with the program in some way. Um, so I know they have a nice ballpark. You know, Troy this weekend drew between 15,000 and 2,000 in every game against Florida International, um, which is, you know, good. Um, I'm not sure. I think Stetson has a better shot, I guess I'm saying, to host. And even then, that's tough because, like you said, you're talking about uh, Florida State and Florida both looking like hosts as well, pretty much the same geographic footprint. Um, but Troy, you know, if Alabama or Auburn doesn't host, maybe you get Troy. Maybe they could sneak in as a one seed and Alabama or Auburn as a two seed. It's tough. If those teams, if Stetson's a two seed, they're going to Gainesville or Florida State, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, so I actually think it's more realistic for Troy, plus the Sun Belt's a better league than the Atlantic Sun. It's more likely to be a multiple bid league. It's more likely in my mind that that Troy could squeeze in there just from a geography standpoint. And their ballpark, uh, just, you know, I don't know much about their ballpark. Uh, it's not like they draw, you know, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 max. I'm um, not sure that it's really a regional host ballpark, but it seems like it's more likely that the champion of the of the, of the, of the uh, Sun Belt could sneak in at the back and be a, uh, be a one seed. Uh, they've got to go 22-1 and one down the stretch to be in that top Eesh. 16 in RPI. So, I think, I think it's unlikely, no matter how high they ri- they rise in our rankings. But I think we do need to watch what happens in the SEC too, because to me, there's a lot of mediocrity in that league, and uh, just because they're in the SEC, I don't think it's automatic. Their teams' RPIs are going to keep rising, as long as teams at the bottom, like Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, to a le- Auburn, to a lesser extent LSU, those teams' records are all pretty mediocre, Aaron. So. Maybe they uh, maybe they don't rise up there. Is there another team? But but John, I mean, you know, you look at Auburn is still 16 in the RPI. You know, I mean, Tennessee and Kentucky aren't. You know, those teams are, are lower. You're right. So I mean, maybe you're, you're maybe you're right about that. But um, you know, Mississippi, Mississippi State. I mean, all those teams are in the top 30. Okay, but um, but if Auburn goes eight and 16, they're still in the top 45 in the rankings. But that I think eight and 16 down the stretch is plausible for Auburn. I'm not I'm not hating on Auburn. I'm just saying it's plausible because they're playing other good teams. Uh, yeah. So they, if they just if they if they go 12 and 12 in there, they're not necessarily going to rise. They're going to come down. The RPI is what I'm saying. Like if they go 10 and 14, they're still in the top 32 according to Boyd's World. That means they they aren't going to stay 16 if they don't win games. That's all. My, that's my point. Right, right. They're not going to stay there unless they win games. So the teams that win games in the SEC will stay high in the RPI. The teams that lose some games are going to. They're not going to get. They're not. They won't stay in the top twenty if they don't play better. That's all I'm saying. Sure, sure. So, and that's how it should be. You know, that's uh, that that that's fair. Uh, any teams outside our rankings, Aaron, uh, that you think have a legit shot to to host? Like if Michigan State, which swept Minnesota this weekend, and is uh, I think we think is the best team in the Big Ten, does Michigan State have a chance to host? Last I recall, they used to play a lot of home games, even in Lansing, at the home of the Lansing Lugnuts. Or a team like Creighton, where you'll be in a couple of weeks for the uh, opener at TD Ameritrade Field, 
Uh, does Creighton have a chance? Like, could they host a regional at TD Ameritrade? That would be wow. That'd be wild. Talk about a, a warm up for the College World Series. Uh, what are the chances of teams outside our top twenty five hosting regionals? Well, those two examples that you brought up, I mean, I don't see happening. Uh, you never know. I mean, we've learned certainly that the committee likes to put regionals in the north and in new places and grow the game. Uh, but I, I just don't see either of those teams, you know, finishing with a gaudy enough record and a strong enough resume to, to get a host. I mean, if they do, it would be as a two seed for sure. Uh, but uh, and I'm still not convinced that that Creighton is is gonna you know run away with the Missouri Valley Conference. You know I I still think Wichita and Illinois State you know have a lot to do with that. And give Creighton credit for winning a road series at Illinois State this weekend. That's a big series for them to start conference play. Uh, but uh, you know I, I think that that conference is gonna wind up being pretty close. And and you know that being the case, um, I don't think you're gonna have a host out of that out of that league. And and Big Ten is just down this year. You know, I mean, it's uh, – I, I do agree, you know, certainly that Michigan State is the best team in that league. Uh, maybe they could they could sneak a, a host as number two, but I think it's going to be hard because their league is so down. It's hard for them to really build up their RPI. I'm going to tell you what. Uh, Wichita State was my preseason Omaha sleeper. That, that's been a disappointing team. Uh, they're 124 in the RPI at 21 and 13. I think that's a joke that their RPI is that low. Because, yeah, they have North Dakota State and Niagara, but they've also played a series at Tulane. They've played Arizona. They've played Penn State, which they lost that series. But Penn State even has a couple of decent series wins. NC State and Wichita State are decent series wins. They've played at Oregon. They've played at Hawaii. And that's not a bad uh, RPI schedule. I think what's killing them is they played Alcorn State a couple times. And and I guess North Dakota and Niagara must have really, really bad RPIs. Yep, Niagara's four and twenty-five. There you go. So um, North Dakota one and eighteen. Uh, you know, the RPI uh, is fickle, and uh, all your good series could get canceled out by your bad series. I'm still stunned that a team that, in my mind, has played a lot of competitive series, Aaron, is down at one twenty-four with their record, uh, with their RPI. But uh, that Missouri Valley Conference is looking like a one-bid league. It's looking, oh, like a, it's looking like a tournament. It's looking like a tournament league, unless Creighton really dominates the regular season and then loses, uh, you know, the tournament, uh, which is just. Uh, and I think of that as a two bid league. In my mind, it should be a two bid league. Maybe in the good year, three bid league. It's looking like a one bid league. It hasn't been a multiple bid league in a while. I, f- I feel like it's usually over the last half decade or so, at least, it's been a one bid league. Okay. Um, so whether whether it deserves to be or not is another story, but it's usually one bid league. Yeah, it was a three bid league back in the day a couple times, but that was uh, that was a different committee, and the committee definitely looks at things differently than it does uh, uh, now than it has in the past. A- anybody from the Big East that you think has a chance to host a regional? Uh, UConn has righted itself somewhat, at least in the league. They probably righted themselves because they're in the league. Uh, Louisville have a chance to to host a regional? Uh, you know, I mean, if they get hot, you know, maybe, but I mean, it's. I don't know. They're 51 in the RPI. Uh, they're, you know, Boyd said says they need to go 21 and four just to finish in the top 32 um, in the RPI. So I mean, I, I don't, I don't see it happening. I, I don't think that you're going to see a Big East team host. I really think this this is one of those years where uh, you're not going to see too many unconventional hosts. I think we're mostly going to see power conferences host. Even a team like TCU, I wonder if they're going to have trouble hosting. You know, because they're, uh, um, you know. They're 34th in the RPI. They'd have to go 24 and one to finish in the top 16, according to the needs report. Uh, that's not easy, you know. And, and certainly they, they could host with a lower RPI than that, but um, 
you know, they again, they probably need to get pretty hot because there's a lot of competition for hosting spots in that in that region. Uh, and, you know, Rice is a factor still and, um, you know, the Big 12 teams. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know that you're going to see a lot of teams outside the power conferences hosting this year. I think you nailed it. I think you're right. I think the I think Troy is the most likely team because they're in a multiple bid league, potentially anyway. And uh, if Auburn and Alabama don't host, at least Troy can uh, kind of fill that geographic void. But again, I'm not sure uh, stadium-wise and history-wise that Troy is kind of a new team where they look. So uh, we'll see what happens. But I think, Aaron, uh, it's shaping up as some nice stories out there. But I think you're going to look at powered conference teams that are going to host. And it's going to be more likely that a team like Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, you know, the winner of that series this weekend has got a good shot to host. Uh, I think they could be one of those back of the 16, uh, you know, 16 host sites. Or a team like Fresno State if they win the WAC. And you could see a regional at Fresno State. So uh, those are more likely. uh, Fresno State's probably the non-power conference. And and Fullerton uh, hosts. uh, Everybody else is going to be, I think, ACC, SEC, uh, Pac-10, Big 12. Um, and even Fresno, even Fresno needs to needs to finish really strong because of because of the RPI. I mean, as much as I think the WAC is pretty solid this year, um, you know, according to the needs report, they need to go twenty three and one to finish in that top sixteen. So yeah, I don't think it's I don't think they take the top sixteen teams right, as, right. as you know as your regional host. Fresno does draw; they have some history. Uh, they've had successful regionals in the past, but they better win the WAC regular season. Absolutely, and, you know, to to host. And I, but I'm I'm. I'm gonna say he's even just as far as chances to host outside those top six, outside those power conferences. That list is the short list. I, I completely agree with you. So, uh, great podcast, Aaron. Aaron, anything else you want to talk about? Uh, that'll do it for me, John. It's uh, I thought it was a, a very compelling week in college baseball. A lot of series, five series between ranked teams this weekend. Um, you had, uh, uh, um, I think, ten teams in the rankings that. Uh, lost the series as, as opposed to last week when 23 out of your 25 teams won series. So um, it's uh, it was an interesting week. I think we're starting to get some crystallization and uh, you know, it's going to be a fun second half. I'm looking forward to it. I'm uh, I'm finally a little bit more geeked for college baseball. Uh, maybe the end of college basketball helped <laughs> you know, with that. Um, I've always been interested, but now I'm pretty uh, geeked about it. It didn't, didn't hurt to drive and see Anthony Rendon. On Saturday, I wish that uh, East Carolina had pitched to him more than once, but uh, I will tell you, Mike Wright looked pretty good going up against Anthony Rendon on Saturday, striking him out with a 96 mile an hour fastball. Um, we could we could have done a, a draft podcast. We'll probably do one later this week because we will have a midseason draft update. But uh, we could have, we could have talked draft. In fact, I think we intended to talk draft uh, during the podcast and didn't. Um, but I'll tell you, it would have been pretty hard to scout Anthony Rendon uh, this weekend and any weekend when he's constantly getting intentionally walked and. Uh, and, and you're not getting pitched to, and when he is getting pitched to, he's a little banged up and uh, not even taking – he's taking infield, but he's not throwing. doesn't look like he's going to return to third base anytime soon. And Conference USA, we didn't talk about it on the podcast, Aaron. We won't talk about it this week. But needless to say, that league is as, as muddied as ever after we thought Southern Miss had kind of taken uh, some charge in that league. So uh, plenty more compelling stuff to talk about on next week's, po- next week's podcast. So for Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America College Podcast. Until then, so long, everybody.